As I read our scripture for today, I'm going to invite you to actually stay seated because it's a little bit of a novella. I want you to be able to really listen to the words. I'm reading today from Genesis chapter 21. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son, Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son, but God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes, and then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy. And he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, bless our dear Baptist, Bible study-loving little hearts. 
some of us were raised and trained to study the Bible in ways that really just don't work with our Bible story today. Many of us grew up interpreting every book of the Bible as though it's gospel literature. So when we read Genesis, we hear it as life lessons through extended metaphors and similes, like the prodigal son or the story of the Good Samaritan. Or we we read Genesis as an epistle, like a letter written to give us practical, concrete advice for specific situations. But that is not the purpose of Genesis. It's not that type of literature. The purpose of Genesis is to pass on the stories of how we got here and why things are the way they are. These were stories told thousands of years ago around the campfire, under the stars, by people who wandered the earth looking for food. Why do we have to work so hard to grow and find food? Why is bringing a baby into the world a near-death experience? Why is family life so messy? Who is God? Many people who've been hurt by the church have been hurt by the ways the Bible is used. The Bible does contain stories that are very difficult to hear, like our story today. But it's the way we handle and interpret and use those stories that can be even more painful. Today's Bible story is one that has, across the centuries, been used to instruct people to stay in abusive relationships, to be obedient to one who abuses them. It's been used to justify slavery, oppression, and mistreatment of people with dark skin. The story has been used to tell people who are experiencing infertility that if they would just show a little more faith, God would give them a baby. Interpretation matters. Along the way, we picked up the problematic idea that Abraham and Sarah are a model family who has a life of adventure and happy accidents, and that they're heroes after whom we should model our lives. And I wouldn't say that that's entirely untrue, but I would say that that is simply not the point of this story. Sometimes we view Abraham and Sarah up on a pedestal, but if we read the story in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah are sort of bumbling through their life, trying to move toward this promise that God has given them. But they are weak and they are impatient, they are old and fragile. And full of doubt. They're human. For a long time, biblical interpretation has viewed Hagar, if at all, in ways that have been especially damaging to women, to people of color, 
and especially to women of color. But the way this story is told, Hagar, an Egyptian slave, is prominent in the eyes of God. Just like Abraham and Sarah, Hagar is part of God's promise. So in actuality, these people who are on different ends of the ethnic, economic, and power spectrum are all broken and vulnerable. And they are all precious, too, and pursued by God. You know, something I hear often now is, boy, family life is really changing. There are just so few traditional families nowadays. But what's ironic is that the very fact that the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar is in the Bible speaks to this truth that family life has always been messy. And in fact, if we really think about it, most of us probably can't think of our family or extended family without also remembering messy situations like divorce, addiction, complicated diagnoses and health problems, financial hardship, disputes and disagreements, costly mistakes, infertility, infidelity, unmet expectations, having to take on non-traditional roles such as a parent serving the role, a grandparent serving the role of parent, jealousy, heartbreak, betrayal, loss. Our Bible story today helps us understand that messes are a part of every life because where there are humans, there is mess. Where there is love, there is pain. Life is not a math equation. We are not God. We break our promises. Things don't turn out as we expect. We experience more doubt than faith. We are tender and fragile and breakable. And what I want you to hear me say about our story today is that it shows us it is not possible to will or guilt or shame ourselves into having a perfect family or faith life. So the question is not, how can we be a perfect person or a perfect family Or have flawless faith? The question is, where do we turn when all the wheels fall off? When we have lost our motivation to do the right thing? When we're challenged to the point of acting like someone we know we don't want to be? God is directly present and involved in the lives of every person in today's story the slave and the free person, the men and the women, the adults and the children, the Egyptians 
and the Israelites, the rich and the poor, the powerful and the vulnerable. God reaches out to Abraham and Sarah and Hagar in relationship. And not because of who they are, but because of who God is. Take Hagar, for example. Hagar has three things working against her. She is an Egyptian, she is a slave, and she is a woman. These types of people are not often named or given any voice in the Bible. But we know Hagar's name, and we hear her voice, and God directly addresses Hagar. God speaks to Hagar, something reserved for the matriarchs, you'll notice. God speaks to Hagar in Genesis 16 and Genesis 21. And not only does God speak directly to Hagar, Hagar directly speaks to God, which for other people in the Bible is a good way to get burned by fire from the sky or turned into a pillar of salt. Hagar is the only person in the Bible who dares to name God. Has her first crisis in the wilderness in Genesis 16. She decides that she would rather die than live in an abusive house with Abraham and Sarah. And so she runs away into the desert in Genesis 16. And there in the desert, God meets her, and she meets God. And she gives God a name, Ale Roy, the God of seeing. Because God has truly seen her for who she is, a person. In Genesis 16, I don't understand why God sends Hagar back to the abusive situation with Abraham and Sarah. But what I do understand is this glimpse of God's character. The God who truly sees us. The God who is willing to be seen by us. So then during her second crisis in the wilderness, in our story today, Genesis 21, when Abraham and Sarah have decided that they would rather Hagar and Ishmael be dead than take responsibility for her and Ishmael and their household. God hears the cries of Ishmael. And that is the meaning of Ishmael's name. God hears. And again, God gives Hagar eyes to see this well of water that will help them survive. So God is one who hears and sees the most vulnerable, the most desperate, the most oppressed, the most messed up. Often when we run into a mess, our impulse is to recoil, to draw lines in the sand, to keep secrets, to stay away from people we've always been close to, to try and remove this mess and pain from our story because it's just not supposed to be there. And we do that because we're ashamed or afraid or we're just plain fed up. But it's actually right there in the mess 
when the mess happens, that there is a moment for miracle. That is when the God encounter happens. That is the moment when a new future can be imagined. There is a movie that came out in 1998 called Stepmom. Some of you may remember it. In the movie, Jackie, who's played by Susan Sarandon, is the ex-wife of Luke, who's Ed Harris. And the couple has been divorced for three years. And this timing was significant for me because I was coming of age around this time. And my parents had been divorced for three years. I always felt this connection with this movie. So we've got Ed Harris and Susan Sarandon. They've been divorced, and Ed Harris, whose name is Luke, he decides it's time to propose to his much younger girlfriend, whose name is Isabel, and she's played by Julia Roberts. Before they were divorced, Jackie and Luke had two children together, Anna and Ben, and the movie tells the story of the difficulties and tensions that come with being a blended family. And Jackie and Isabel, mom and stepmom, struggle to accept each other. And they're not exactly private in expressing their distaste for each other, even in front of the kids. So there's this scene in the movie when mom, Jackie, is out riding horses with her little boy, Ben. And they're talking about life. And Ben looks over at her and says, Mom, If you want me to hate her, I will. Sometimes when I read our story today, I think, Sarah, where are you? Hagar was in your care. You should have helped her. You should have been the fountain in the wilderness for her. Which leads me to wonder, is there an opportunity for me to help someone in the middle of their mess? What messes have I made that are leaving people in the desert with no water? Recently, I saw a friend post these words on Facebook. Be a fountain, not a drain. In our experiences with family, either biological or chosen family, there will be messes, big messes and small messes, which means there will be lots of opportunities to choose to be a fountain instead of a drain, to be respectful instead of hateful, to show patience instead of rage, to offer grace instead of judgment, and to teach love instead of hate. You know, love is really hard. Love is not a magic trick. It's more like a garden. We have to cultivate it if we want it to grow. And when we love people, we understand that they're always changing, always expanding. So our love has to change and expand too. 
And it's important for us to remember that as we learn how to love each other, other people, little eyes, are learning how to love by observing us. In that moment, the moment when the mess overwhelms you to the point of tears, when you are feeling that all is lost and you are out of solutions, that is precisely the moment when you are seen and heard. That is the moment when God is willing to be seen and to be heard by you. So in the middle of the mess, in the hardest moments, cry out to God. Even if the only word you can find is help. You are not alone in the mess. God does not look on messes with judgment. Remember that Jesus promises to be our living water. To reshape our futures with hope. To give us grace in the moment. And to give life to others through us. So may God open the eyes of our hearts to see this living water flowing here before us. Amen.